Welcome to the 10th Year Seniors Podcast Network. This is Off the Turnbuckle. Gents, we are in ever-increasingly strange times. Yes, sir. Um, So, there's so much to talk about when it comes to wrestling. Um, <laughs> just, this, just, it's amazing. Um, So, WrestleMania happened in as much as I guess it, it could have. Um, that's in the rear view. Um, a lot happened at WrestleMania. They decided to split it over two nights. Um, they decided, I think, in their mind to try and, and give people as many um, happy-to-go-home kind of moments as possible. Um, and then in the midst, I when, when you have reports that Vince thinks that Charlotte is a face, these are the things that in his mind then make sense. Um, but the idea is I think that they wanted to kind of take the approach of send the crowd home extra happy because it's so much that's going on with the, the pandemic and all of that. Um, but then like today's news, we're recording this on Monday. I think we're two weeks out from WrestleMania or two Mondays out from WrestleMania now. Um, and the news all over the place this morning was WWE is listed as an essential service in Florida, which is just wild. Like that's a conversation in and of itself. Um, yeah, I want us to get to that. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know if we started, I think we're going to cycle back around to that. Um, but let's, let's start with just, I guess everybody's thoughts on WrestleMania. Ricardo, you can go first. Well, from my standpoint overall, I thought the show was pretty good. Um, for all intents and purposes, what we ended up with turned out to be a lot better than most of us expected going into the show, uh, particularly with the two standout matches of the Boneyard match and, uh, the Firefly Funhouse. Oh, that, I don't know if I'm saying it correctly. That's the name. That's but, your two standout yeah, matches? Yeah. Oh, but, it was, I mean, it was in, two matches really. It was in Brock. The <laughs> it was in Brock and Drew and, 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 um, Strowman and. And go for No, 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 no. It definitely uh, weren't those, uh, those weren't the matches. But see, I, I think the, the gimmick aspect of the two matches I mentioned is what really flipped things uh, for the better because it took wrestling into a new space, mm-hmm. into a new concept, and it allowed fans to be more involved given the fact that we weren't in the building. Right. WrestleMania mm-hmm. is such a big show for people to be in the building and actually feel those matches. Mm-hmm. So I think more, 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 more so than any other matches, those two matches involve fans. It, it allowed you to see, like we say about Undertaker, we get to see all of the theatrics that we love about the Undertaker mm-hmm. on full display. Mm-hmm. And with Bray and John Cena, we got a chance to see all of their creativity right. on full display. Yeah. Um, Javon, what are your, your big takeaways from WrestleMania weekend? Um, well, I share a lot of Ricardo's sentiments. 
uh, the Taker and AJ match and Bray and Cena match were far better than any of us could have anticipated going into this, especially the Bray and Cena because like mm-hmm. on the last part we, we kind of debated on how you know prior to that Bray lost the belt to the Goldberg, so now he can't the Goldberg this match. Yeah, so like, what's what's why why does it even happen? Why? Right. But out him having the belt, like, what's the significance? But I think Bray and Cena really that was... like Ricardo said showed a lot of their creativity and that match to create like one of the better the better matches of the night. Oh um, yeah, that was also I yeah that was pretty damn creative. Out. No, it was it was because Bray really needed it, and I like. I don't know, we'll probably touch on it a bit further into the pod, but I like the direction they're going with Bray and and whereas he's kind of like exercising a lot of the past demons mm-hmm. of, you know, with, with playing his career. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I like the callback to his match. I like that callback to his match. You know? um, I also want to shout out the tag match from the SmackDown side. Mm-hmm. I, I feel those guys really put on the show. That was one of the better matches of of the two nights as mm-hmm. well. Um, I just like the only I think in regards to that too. I would say, um, in terms of the matches, um, WrestleMania, I feel as though the Edge and the Orton match could have used a lot of what they did with Bray, I seen in AJ and Undertaker. I felt that match more story less match. Yeah, yeah, that that no holds barred. That that definitely needed a crowd, and I feel as though. If they could not have the crowd, then they should have taken the same approach because right. I feel that and that was one of the more anticipated matches of the yep. night, and it kind of didn't live up to that. But so, not to say it wasn't a, it was a bad match, but it did it just it just it didn't live up to the hype of the story yeah. going in. So I think right. we can start there and kind of then cycle back through um, some of the big matches. So I think I think the issue with the Edge and Randy Orton match was that the match was too long. Um, mm-hmm. There was too and that see that's particularly problematic when you have you know c- complete control. It's not a live match. You shot it. You could edit it. You could kind of rework certain spots to kind of make it streamlined a little bit more but i think that was a 36 minute match um and that's a lot uh i think they try to use um as much of the the limited space of the, of the performance center to kind of have it be you know creative and different in different spots but i think when you look at that and then you look at the other two matches that we mentioned which is the the taker match and the bray match you know when people are out here like Ricardo said, taking wrestling into a completely different space. Um, what we what we had as the best story going into WrestleMania um, didn't end up seeming like it lived up to the hype just because when you look at what Taker and AJ did and what Cena and Bray did, and it's just like, uh, we could have gotten a little bit more out of Edge and Orton for that, for that match. Um, I, well, when, when I, I think when we look at the Edge and Orton match, I think the struggles in that contest had more to do with the fact that they didn't treat it like something that they pre-recorded. They treated it like something that was live. The problem with that match is there were so many elements going on. The person producing that match or trying to cut that match down had no idea what to take out. Right. So like a lot of moments, like it's like an Avengers movie. There's so much content that's left on the cutting room floor that Mm -hmm. after the fact, 
you'll be like, oh, I see why they took that out. Right. That didn't lend to the story. Right. It was just so many elements in that match, like the whole sprawl outside of the ring, heading towards the back and towards the gym area. A lot of that stuff, while it did lend to the moment, it did not lend to the story. Mm-hmm. So stuff like that, you could mm-hmm. cut out and still tell the same story. Right. I think the problem was the person producing that or editing that segment had no idea what to take out and what to leave in. Mm-hmm. But I, I think, yeah, I you know, that's I think that brings up a good point as we start to look at the other two, the other two main matches that I think we all probably want to spend a, a chunk of time discussing, which is whoever plotted out, planned, produced the Bray match and the Undertaker match. Kudos, hats off, because I that is wrestling evolving into something that's like very tangential to what we think wrestling is because I think you kind of do a disservice to what those four men did between those two matches by calling them matches because that was more uh, a story, uh, uh, a mini movie than a match in both instances, specifically more so on the Bray Cena side of it. Um, But I think it was very smart if we kind of pivot to the AJ Undertaker match first. Um, it was very smart of them to produce the match in which they did. It got to cover up some of Undertaker's limitations while also really shining a light on some of his strongest points, especially at this stage of his career. I think AJ Styles was definitely the perfect dance partner for him at this stage. Um, He's always done really well with matches against smaller guys. So Undertaker is one of those big dudes where, you know, he really he really works well when you go back to like the Shawn Michaels. Um, and I think AJ Styles may even be a little bit smaller in terms of stature than Shawn was. But that that clearly is some of his best matches have come in those instances. So looking at who he was paired with and then also their approach to how they produce the match, how they went about um, kind of developing all of the little key points, like even just like simple when... AJ thought that, you know, he was still in the the grave and he was sitting down in the um the tractor or whatever it was, and then the light shone on and Undertaker was just standing behind him. Like, that's just really good stuff. Like that's that's your typical old school Undertaker spooky type stuff that you can really get away with in that type of a match and that type of a setup because it's not live. So the level of what you get to play around with and what they then did with playing around with it was really good right yeah, I, I, I the, the way i ended up looking at it after uh the mini weekend was i think wwe stumbled upon a way to contextualize their stories mm-hmm. uh, uh again in particular yeah. with those two matches it's it's a space that they're now operating in where it goes beyond character development mm-hmm. and it allows you to develop without the limits of not only time, but history. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at the Undertaker match, there was no way you could tell that was, you know, nearly 60-year-old Undertaker. Right. I mean, yes, Thank his you. age was aware, yeah. but it gave, you, it gave you the ability to, you know, mix his fantastical elements that we had from the past, like you said, uh, Spooky Taker. Mm-hmm. It allowed you to make that more than an actually is in real time. If you mm-hmm. watch that match in real time, there's no way in the world Undertaker kid pop out from the ground and then up on a tractor. Yes, we've seen it in the past where 
we've had the lights turn out and he's tried to move his fastest to another spot but having having this match take place in a space where you could post-produce it mm-hmm. it allowed him to be even more uh mythical right. even more you know like you said again you take up right because you you, yeah, you can cut and frame nice. it mm-hmm. so yeah i think like i said i think that was um the way they approached it was really well done because they got to present and shine a light on the best parts of Undertaker um, and successfully hide his limit, his 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 physical limitations at this point because you can't even say in-ring because there was nothing in the ring for that match. I think right. it's interesting because I think both matches owe some debt of gratitude to Broken Matt Hardy because the ideas and the way they played around with that. And like you said, this concept of what you could do with post-production, all of that as in terms of a recent callback, all of those can be tied to, you know, final deletion and, and those sorts of things that when broken mm-hmm. Matt Hardy was allowed to run wild in, in TNA towards the end there. Um, I think both of those matches owe a great deal of, of gratitude to Matt Hardy and the broken form of Matt Hardy in particular. You know what's no, so I... funny? I glad you I glad you brought that up because I had a mini argument with one of my friends about this the other day. Uh, I I I know we're in a haste to you know pile praise on Matt Hardy and everything he did with the Broken Universe, but I think a lot more of this had more to do with not only Scott Borash, who is one of the producers behind the Broken Universe of Matt Hardy, mm-hmm. but more so Bray Wyatt. And I a lot of people don't give great credit. For his wrestling mindset, mm-hmm. not so much so like the in-ring performance, but more so the way he tells the story, and that's right. why I had to use the way of uh, conceptualizing what you want a match or what you want a feud to look like. Right. If you go back to Bray's uh, Swamp gimmick, uh, the leader, what, what was he calling himself at the time? He was a the, charismatic cult leader, or something along those lines. That. That. The, the 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 full view of that character allowed Braid to be basically out of this world. Mm-hmm. And to see what he did with that outside of uh, in-ring match, I think a lot of that is now being fleshed out across other matches that we see in WWE. Because if you look at what he did in the Fire 5 Funhouse match, mm-hmm. it had nothing to do with in-ring. It had oh. everything to do with the story. Mm-hmm. And the story of his history with John Cena and, you know, just pulling back all of those elements. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's more so of him looking at himself, not as a wrestler, but like as a, as a creative, like a, like a poet, like a writer, like, mm-hmm. like, like a movie producer. And I think it's more so Bray than anybody else. Because if you look at, if you look at that match, the elements of that match, that had to have been somebody who sat back and looked at and, and looked at all of the options, not from the standpoint of who should win or who should lose, but what is the narrative that we're going to make across history? Right. Let me look back at this moment. Right. Yeah, yeah, I agree with a lot you said, Ricardo, um, and I'm glad you said it too. That match, and the reason that it excelled so much was because of Bray's mind for wrestling and his attention to details and storytelling. Right. And then also on John Cena's side, his commitment to it. Mm-hmm. His commitment to everything um, that he wanted to do within that match. Uh, and that's why I want to say I feel like that match really... I felt that match more so than him even 
competing for a belt at WrestleMania took his character to a whole nother level mm-hmm. because now the the, the Firefly Funnels, um, it has a whole different meaning now and his character can go so many different ways now whereas you have him pick off. So you have this current story building with Braun Strowman where now he goes back to where, well, I created you. So it's time for you, you know, to, to pay up because mm-hmm. I'm coming now. I, I want what's owed. So, and, and then, like he said, going back with John Cena, it's like, well, at this point in WrestleMania in my career, you buried me. You know, you, exactly. you were the you were the stopgap for me. Mm-hmm. I was I was taking off, and you mm-hmm. just stopped that. So now I'm here for you know, to, for, for my do again. Yeah, and right. and this is the area you're with. And a, a lot of people don't. And I loved it. And I saw it like this discussion. The actual breakdown. Everyone yeah. should go and sit down to the actual breakdown of that match and just and see just how many layers. Well, all of the right, all of match. the callbacks. Right, and so in I terms think... of dissecting the character that is John Cena and just to dissect the mind that is Bray Wyatt, and mm-hmm. it's like you will really come back from that like, wow, this. This is incredible. Like these, yeah. this is a genius right now putting on this match and this performance mm-hmm. and creating this entire thing. The interesting thing yeah. for me is I look at it and I'm like, I'm now at a point where you know, like when you you um you look at movies, you look at TV shows, and you're like, you know, like Greg Berlanti is the executive producer for all the Arrow shows, right? And it's like it makes me want to know, like, who was who who produced these matches? Like, who who all were involved? Who were the minds that said we're going to take this approach for this boneyard match, and we're going to take this approach for the Firefly Funhouse, particularly for the Firefly Funhouse match? Boy, that's a lot. That's a that's a lot to say. Um, yeah. <laughs> but there's a there's a Twitter thread that Javon had shared a while back. I think it was maybe the night the two nights after WrestleMania that kind of broke down all of the the things that they called back to um and some of the specific nuance that if you're a newer wrestling fan you might not catch. Um but just the 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 Hulk Hogan Macho Man reference, the NWO Hollywood Hogan reference, mm-hmm. um the you can look but you can't touch reference when it comes to his relationship with Nikki Bella, like there was so many levels of nuance and callbacks that match literally. And I, I mean, even in the moment, this is not even revisionist history, right? In the moment we were all like, this is a masterpiece. Now I saw people online. I was like, this isn't even a match. Like, what is this? This is garbage and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, y'all don't understand wrestling. You don't understand what the concept of Thank storytelling you. and wrestling is. If you don't appreciate you. that match. And I hate to say that. Cause I don't want to sound like some I- snobbish, you know, wrestling fan, wrestling purist, but I'm like, it did make me right. feel like if you want like wrestling, go watch Greco Roman wrestling, go watch Olympic wrestling, go watch something else. If you want professional wrestling, if you want sports entertainment, that that brace scene or spectacle is kind of like to me the pinnacle of uh, and the next phase of evolution for what wrestling can be. Such good shit. No, you're absolutely right, and and this is, this has always been my thing. When it came to um in regards to WrestleMania, I always felt WrestleMania was the time to where the story in ring had to show. I feel like the story that's being told had to shine far above the actual wrestling when it came to WrestleMania because you have this long build up on the road to WrestleMania where you start to kick up these feuds, mm-hmm. you start now you start to um build these stories and WrestleMania is the conclusion for a lot of that. And I felt like that should take precedence over that and the AJ Taker and Bray and Cena match were perfect examples of that. Those when a story 
completely comes together on the biggest night ever. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and it leaves you um just astounded right. because of what you just witnessed. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that it's going to be interesting to see how they parlay that into storytelling going forward. I do mm-hmm. wonder how much of that was them being forced into certain decisions because of the lack of a live audience. Um, I wonder how much of that was literally because I wonder how of... much of it was, was, was taking Vince out of the discussion. I don't know, every time we do a record, we bring it back to Vince McMahon. Oh, boy. But yeah. again, if you look at those two matches... It it especially the Cena you know, uh, Bray match. I can't it imagine took, Vince was involved. Exactly, no, it I took can't. somebody saying that Vince, this guy could tell the story better than you could write it. Because I, I I don't see WWE's natural writers' room writing this script. No, this oh, no. is somebody. Oh, no. it, it took these two wrestlers to sit down and not only look at their history, but the history of their relationships, mm-hmm. the history of their personal lives, mm-hmm. the history of the company mm-hmm. to put something like that off. Because, uh, Alexis, you touched on it a short while ago when you talked about uh, people saying this is not even a match. It took it on to a new level because even with, like, the uh, John Cena being a heel thing, the whole NWO, for him to put John Cena in the space of... You are this generation's Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. And the problem we have with Hulk Hogan for such a long time was he didn't want to turn heel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're going to turn you heel in this moment to not only give people a snapshot of what you would look like as a heel, but literally juxtapose that against this space of you only doing it because you failed yourself. So it's almost like, uh, and you you touched on it again, uh, Alexis, with the Greg Belanti and the uh, Flash universe and the Arrow universe. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you keeping on a story, like just building that foundation mm-hmm. to just put layers upon layers upon layers to the point now that you're 15 seasons in and just a simple eye wink, or uh, in this case with wrestling, a drop elbow is completely, you know, Right. It, it, it alters the mind and the way you look at this full story because mm-hmm. everything now has meaning. Mm-hmm. Because the hub, John Cena, they're literally pounding away on what he thought was the Fino at that time, Bray Wyatt, for the turn out to be Husky Harris. That right. means now you have to understand who Husky Harris represents. Mm-hmm. Like him, him pounding on the pig was Husky Harris. Right. Why is that important? Because that was the character that Bray was when he thought that everything he did was for the better of his career, but nobody saw him as doing something to uplift his career. So it's so many different layers to those moments. Yeah. And when you look back on it, it, it gives you this idea that wrestling could now be a lot more than who could jump the highest or who could slam the strongest. Right. It's, 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 it's a lot more about stories and nuances and, and, and creative going to the point of the wrestler and not so much so the booker anymore. Right. And I feel like in a lot of ways, this is is when you go back to the Summer of Punk storyline um, and some of the like fourth wall breaking stuff that they did. Which was, which was even included in the uh, bracing a match. Right. Um, yeah. Which is amazing yeah, well, that they even referenced that. And, and it, it goes back to the point of yeah. they they clearly locked Vince out of the room. It was like, you don't have a say here. Go sit down. Like, Go get a smoothie, go get a Starbucks, go do something else, right. but don't get involved in this. Um, because so much of what they touched on just feels like Vince would have been like, oh, no, we can't do that. 
um, especially like this is some good shit. Like the fact that they even included that, and again, right? This like that mm. was that was a match so purely for a particular segment of WWE fans that it's not even funny. Like that, that is for us. The that segment, match, the segment of fans that drifted to AEW because AEW wrestling has become more of a reality than a reality TV. Right. WWE has long been reality TV, but nice. AEW took it to a point where it's actual reality now. Right. Like these persons, th their lives matter. Their actions matter. Everything matters in AEW. So to have all of this flashback in this form of match for the Firefly Fun House, it made you realize that everything that has ever happened, it mattered. Mm -hmm. Like John Cena's career impacted Bray so much that it turned him into the fan. It's almost like the Batman Joker yes. concept. Yeah. Who made yeah. who? Yeah. It's almost like in order for the fan to exist, we needed John Cena to be the polite uh, person in the ring, mm -hmm. but the asshole behind the scenes. Right. Like we, we needed him to be a hero to children, but to be the villain to every wrestler in the back room. Mm -hmm. So like all of that came together to create this fiend character yep. who's now based off of literally setting the WWE's, WWE's history right. Because mm -hmm. that's what the fiend is now. That is spilling yes. over now into his feud with go. Braun. Mm -hmm. It's almost mm -hmm. like, yeah, Braun, you're holding the title now, but you owe me. And like to hear him say it is almost like, wow, because that's him winking at Braun saying, I literally gave you this space to become who you are. Mm -hmm. Now you're all running about telling people you're going to catch these hands, but I was there when you couldn't speak. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah. to, see, to see these levels and to see these layers, bro, WWE in a good place right now. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing, you know, it's, you wouldn't have thought that, and we didn't think that even going into WrestleMania because of, you know, we knew there wasn't going to be fans. We knew there was all of these challenges. Um, everything was going to be pre-recorded. Um, but somehow, on, on the backs of those two matches, um, WWE definitely seems to be in a very good place. Um, but we're going to use that pivot point to kind of go to the um, Braun Strowman-Goldberg match. And and we'll, we'll just do this and the... the um, Brock drew match because it was essentially the same match. Um, title holder hit a bunch of finishers. Challenger kicked out a bunch of times. They then hit a bunch of finishers and they won. Um, so in this instance, it was Braun and Drew. Um, okay. We knew, I mean, we knew Drew was winning that match. Um, I don't think there was any question there. Uh, I think it's disappointing. It must be disappointing for him um, because I think this was definitely something that he felt was his crowning achievement and it must be underwhelming to have it happen with no audience um you know him pointing into the camera and saying thank you thank you thank you at the end of that match it's just it's not the same right um i'm hoping that his title run ends up being more meaningful to him than that moment just just the moment in and of itself was um I think the Braun Goldberg match was probably where there might have been a little bit more of a potential thought process. Like, well, they just like slipped Braun in here last minute, so he might not win. Um, I think it's for everybody's benefit that he won because we definitely needed the title off of Goldberg. Nobody was here for that. Um, mm -hmm. 
I also like that they made the smart decision of, but and this was probably partially because Roman is going to be distant until this settles down, probably completely. Um, but that pivoting to Braun versus Bray, I think, is perfect. Um, I think that's why Braun was the best choice to replace Roman in that match, and it was the best choice to let him win because now there is story that can be mined, and they're already mining it um, for the Fiend versus Braun Strowman yeah. over that title belt. And I think it's just it's it's they fell into that. Like honestly, they because clearly Roman was going in. Roman was more than likely going to win, and we were going to end up with a different kind of story. Um, but I think what we can get out of something that has, um, I think, a bit more interest in the history, um, especially with Braun being, you know, foot soldier to Bray and the Wyatt family. I think there's a lot more that you can play around with there than you probably could even with the wealth of history and matches between um, Bray and Roman. But I mean, Again, I think the title Again. matches were just what they 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 were just I, that was. Mm -hmm. That was just a plot point to get to the next story. Yeah, yeah. And like, uh, let me just make this point real quick, Javon. And I think again, this is why I I hate to say it. This is why I think Corona has been so good <laughs> to wrestling. And I hate to put it like that, but it's so true. Because if you look at the the Drew uh, Brock match, we all know that Drew was going to win, but the way in which he won that match. It made it all the better. And I know, Alexis, you said that the fans not being there made it, you know, a bit lackluster. But I think it made it perfect because, like I told y'all, we, we were all in the group chat during Mania. I was like, this is the first time in a very long time that you actually see joy in a wrestler for having to hold that belt. Like, we've seen Seth win the belt and, you know, actually shed real tears. We've seen... Uh, Daniel actually win the belt and mm -hmm. literally just collapse in joy. It's the same thing when we saw Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit. Mm -hmm. I uh, forget it. Like moments like that is when you look back at as a, as a wrestling fan and say, "This actually means something to these guys." Oh, yeah. And because of the likes of mm -hmm. Braun, uh, not Braun, uh, Brock and Goldberg for so long, these wrestlers are just coming and just literally placeholders that joy has been taken away from these belts so to see drew win it the way he won it mm -hmm. uh going in but still having the matter of fact in the moment to say you know what this is something i worked for my whole life like this isn't for me this is for the fans who stuck by me after 3mb who stuck by me after the injuries who stuck with me through nxt mm -hmm. this is their moment just as much as it's mine and to see a wrestler actually admit that it gave you a glimpse into what wrestling used to be mm -hmm. like and as, as as much as we forget about it the montreal screw job when we had that moment it was a moment where two wrestlers loved the sport so much that they refused to drop to the next person. It was Sean saying, you know what, I don't like Brett. Uh, he's good in the ring, but I can't stand him. It was Brett saying, I think Sean is spoiled. Mm -hmm. So that forced us into a moment where it meant something to both guys. Right. Yes, it was scripted, but at the same time, there was a story to be told because it meant so much to each of those people. So to see it, uh, Brock, Brock had no care in the world for that match. It was, I'm going to go through the motions and drop. But every move that um, Drew. Drew made in that match, 
it 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 felt it felt like it was building towards something. Mm-hmm. And then when you look back at the Goldberg Braun match, we call it a match of just finishers, which it was. But at the same time, it felt like it made meant something for Braun as opposed to Goldberg. Right. It was like Goldberg and Brock just wanted to drop these belts, get out of the building. Right. But the two guys that pick up the belts for whatever reason, they wanted to be there. Right. No fun. Two fans, just cameras and right. announcers, they wanted to be there. And I think the interesting thing to note there is that, like, WWE missed their, their I guess, the, the, the absolute right moment that I think a lot of fans felt to put the title on Braun, I think, two summers ago or three summers ago now. I can't even remember how long it was. Um, but I think, you know... For Braun, it must be satisfying, especially given the way he ended up there. But it still must be satisfying to get, um, you know, that that main championship belt. Um, because for all intents and purposes, he was in, he, he as green as he was from a fan support perspective. Um, that summer, I think, when they had great balls of fire and, and he, he was in title matches basically all summer. It was like a five-man match here, a three-man match here. It was him and... Um, Brock one-on-one at some point like that was he was hot at that point and that was the time to put the title on him and they missed the boat so now it's funny that you know a couple of years later at Wrestlemania due to a pandemic due to Roman Reigns being a cancer survivor not being able to wrestle because of fears for his own personal health now here is Braun stepping in to be like yeah give me the title now suckers um and then having such a meaty story to play around with, like Braun is literally in the exact right moment at the exact right time. And I think this this title run, this feud with Bray, especially if it extends beyond um, a couple of matches, a couple of months, has the potential to change the narrative on his entire career arc. Um, because what they can do with that story, what they can tell, what they can kind of work out of that... Um, can very well change the course of his career and how we remember him just by being a part of this feud. Um, and just to kind of point out, you can't go through the history of moments when dudes won the title and not mention Shawn Michaels achieving his boyhood dream and collapsing in the ring, holding the title with tears in his eyes after I, beating Bret Hart in the Iron Man match, sudden it. death. You can't do I that. As a Shawn Michaels fan, you can't it. do that. Yeah, I was gonna come back to it, but okay. I know you of all people would. Oh, you know, you know I'm not. I'm, I'm not gonna let that go. Shawn Michaels is my dude. I <laughs> I, I stand for Shawn yeah. Michaels, boss. I just saying. Um, oh, but God. yeah, I think I think ultimately, um, I I agree with you. It does feel like Brock and Goldberg was just like, all right, I had to do the business and I'm out. Um, which is a part of the problem with these part timers. Um, but we're not going to dwell on that. Um, there's a lot of other, I think, there's issues along the rest of what happened at WrestleMania. Um, I'm not going to spend time on two dudes who just come and go as they please. Um, I I don't want to start this next part of the discussion by saying the burial of the NXT women. But I'm not sure how else to... We all call it a burial... I don't call it. We have the Monday Night Messiah with Seth Rollins going wild on Raw. I think Charlotte is the savior for NXT. I mean, let's have the conversation. Uh, You all know how I feel about Charlotte and everything she does for women's wrestling. 
To me, she's the best in-ring performer right now. Hands down, head over heels over everybody else. I think Charlotte is the best. Mm -hmm. So I think moving her to NXT is not only going to elevate that division, but I think we're going to see some of the best matches of so many key people that's down there. We're going to see their careers take off just because they had the rub from Charlotte. Mm -hmm. Right now, what Charlotte is going to do is put a lot of girls on display. Like, a lot of times in NXT, we have people who are two unknown characters being forced to make a diamond out of nothing. Mm -hmm. Putting Charlotte there is going to give a spark to a lot of people. Like, we recall her little situation with Bianca right before Mania. That put Bianca on a pedestal because... Yeah, she lost to Charlotte, but at the same time, we saw some of the things that she could do in the ring. We saw her power. We saw her uh, her, her, her gymnastic background. We saw her agility. We saw all of these terrific characteristics that made her special. Well, that makes her special on mm -hmm. display. So I think that's what Charlotte is going to go down to NXT and do it for a lot of those girls. And at the same time, it gives her time to literally hone in her own skills. What was she going to do on the main roster? For Raw or SmackDown, except compete with the same five people she's been competing with for the last five years. Allow her to go down there and do something new. Okay. We see it with Finn. Okay. So yeah. I hear okay. I hear all of that. And they are all solid points. My one potential counterpoint to that is Charlotte's not going to lose to a lot of those girls. So how is this any different than Sino? Because a lot of people had that spotlight because they were in matches with Sino. And then like Bray at WrestleMania, I think 30 or 31 that it was, you get you get the loss and then you kind of you you fizzle or you you end up having to be completely repackaged to be meaningful again. You know, it's it, there is also that potential dark side when you look at it, you know, on the flip, which is a lot of not everybody is going to be I'm the person that beat Charlotte Flair, right? There may be one and that may be it. And then Charlotte just stays back up on I think she's on Raw um, going forward. So I think we have to be mindful that, yes, while there's going to be a light Sean, if she runs through the NXT women's division, then what? One person actually but gets the legitimate rub and that's whoever takes the title from her and moves on. Alexis. Alexis, you're looking at it as her literally night after night destroying some yeah, female talent in the ring. The but I don't think it's going to be like that. Like, case in point with NXT, how many times did, and I hate to bring them up because they just left the company, how many times did Revival win the champion, tag championships in NXT? Did that make them any less of a, a great tag team? No. How many times did... Uh, Drew McIntyre win the NXT champion. I have, a, I have a lot to say about that. You see what I'm saying? So I don't think NXT is the space where you literally, it's about how many titles you won or how many title matches you lost. Mm -hmm. It's about what you did in those matches that we remember. How many times has Johnny Gargano gone in big matches and lost? We don't talk about that. We know every time he gets in the ring, it's a potential five-star match. Right. That's what we remember from NXT. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of these females are going to be put in that same position where we're not going to remember if they win or lose. We're going to remember like Rhea Ripley at WrestleMania, the match she put on with Charlotte. Because in that moment, we said, I said right off the top, this is a five-star match. That match was one of the best women's matches I've ever seen. 
So we're going to have a lot of moments like that in NXT moving forward where we say to ourselves not who won or who lost, the Charlotte retain or the Charlotte drop the belt. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking a lot more about how good Charlotte looked and how good the girls she wrestled against looked. And what got us spot on, because that's a lot of what I wanted to say, is that it's not about the matchup who wins and who loses. It's how the wrestler looks in it. So to go back, to tie back to Rhea and Charlotte, it's not about the fact that, oh, because a lot of people felt the way that she lost that match, but she looked great. She came out of that match stronger. She came mm-hmm. out of that match more of a star than she went in with. And so that's what's going to happen with NXT. A lot of those girls are going to have matches with Charlotte and look great. Charlotte is going to make them look great. She's going to help them look great. And you also have the aspect of her being down there. She can help a lot of the female wrestlers there too and help build their career and help them develop much more. So you can't just look at it from a, um, a space of, okay, are they winning the title? Right. Who's getting the rub? Like how many title reigns do they come out with? Like, no, it's more, it's definitely on the developmental side as well right on how strong do you look how great did you look how good of a match did you put on how well fair. did you tell a story in the ring fair those are you all know? fair points mm-hmm. and i i agree that Rio didn't lose much in losing that match but when you pair it with the fact that Shayna lost to becky on a fluke that's where you start to scratch your head and be like so we built up Rhea for this match with Charlotte, and granted, she didn't lose much in losing, but you literally built up Shayna as female Brock um, in a lot of ways, and then you had her lose on a fluke to Becky. And so it's like, what was, in some ways, I, I get it, Charlotte staying in NXT for the long run is probably going to do a lot of favors for the women in NXT. But I think as a snapshot, when you go back and you look at these two NXT women were poised and it made it look like, you know, we were going to have this big splash with them winning WrestleMania weekend. This is the first time I think that NXT talent was involved in title matches on WrestleMania um, while still being primarily NXT talent. And so it's like it does come off just from a, a very long form view when you look back at it historically that you had the two brightest stars in some ways out of the nxt women's division both lose on the grandest stage of them all and i think that's kind of the issue that i have with it um i wouldn't have minded a split um i think as much as i'm not the greatest fan of Shayna, i feel like she she should have won is my thought like, I, I was 50-50 on Rhea and Charlotte because I saw kind of the potential, you know, but like I say, it's looking at both of those things together that just kind of made me scratch my head and go like, so we couldn't give one of them a win? Alexa, while, while I agree with a lot of what you're saying about the Sheena thing, because to this day, I'm still a bit bothered at the fact that Sheena lost. But I think too many times, especially when it comes to NXT talent, moving up to the main roster, we get so hung up on the point of wins and losses that yeah. we miss the point of true development. Because mm-hmm. if you look at Trina, if she came in and she literally, she ramshacked the entire Raw women's division. And if she did that all the way up to the point of beating Becky, what does that then say about the entire division you've spent three years building? You see what I'm saying? Because if she did all of that, then what is next for her? 
who do you put in front of her? That means you're going to now have to bring Ronda right back. Well, not right back. You're going to have to get Ronda to come back just to show that this woman could be beaten. Mm-hmm. So why do you then force yourself to question why in the world did Becky beat Ronda in the first place then? If Ronda still have the comeback and, you know, stop the monster. Fair. You, you see what I'm saying? Fair. So I think, like, having, having, having Sheena Baszler uh, drop to Becky is more so of a, you have to pay your dues. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen that fast. Mm-hmm. You see where I'm coming from? It, it, it needs to happen at a point where you need to lose. And when you lose, then we can get some idea of, where you fit in the overall program. Right. Because if she just went on and beat Becky, then where does that leave the entire division? Everybody's bowing down to Shayna for how long? I mean, even Becky had to go through her lumps before she became what she became at WrestleMania last year. Right. Becky, two belts. Like, she had to go through a lot before she got there. And it took some losses in big matches. Right. It took some upsets behind the scenes. It took a lot. Right. I mean, that's that's fair. Right. And even and, and even the touch on that, um, He's right. Carlos absolutely right. There's a lot of story that's left to tell in Shayna versus Becky. And then you have it whereas even not even Asuka came in and Ramshaw the place like that, you know? So you have, like Carlos said, you have to find out, okay, where can you go? Where can we take the story? Where can we take your character? Where What's the development left and for you? No, it's just not about the, the win and the, and the loss of it, but it's like, well, what's your next step? Because if yeah, we do but... this, if we go this route, then where how well the progression and the, the development of your character it's it's not going to be exciting right. because then if you beat Becky realistically so who's left like I'll say two things one tread lightly using Asuka as a reference point because Asuka definitely got lost oh, in the shuffle has, um, but no, no, wait wait I, I, that's another point I, I thank you for saying that a lot of us think that Asuka has may not think that Asuka has the career that we envision it but Asuka has not had a bad career I would Go and look up Asuka's history in the WWE. She definitely has not had a bad career so far. No, but it as just, a matter of fact, she has she, one of the she, most. If, if we're talking winning, wait. So if we're talking winning wins and losses, she has one of the best win records for a female wrestler in the WWE. I'll, have, very I'll have to go look that up, and and if I have to eat crow on that, then fine. Um, my second point. No, was, I mean I, I, I uh, Javon, as much as I love you, I always hate to agree with you, but he's absolutely correct. It took me <laughs> being mad about Kyrie's being last night being nope, literally rampaged by Nia Jax to go and look that up. Because I was saying, I don't know if you all know, last night on Twitter it started the trend that everybody was trying to bait Kyrie's in to quit, quit WWE right away. Yeah, and yeah. like yeah, responding yeah. to that or, you know, looking up after that, I realized that Asuka has had a really good WWE career as compared to Kyrie's in who has literally been beyond her time in NXT, just a footnote to so many other great people. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Asuka for all of, you know, coming up and losing on a feeder streak in a big moment, she's still been pretty good. Fair. I think yeah. the, the other thing I wanted to mention, though, just in terms of that, was I feel like Vince, and and I, I, I have to say Vince specifically, but Vince and the WWE also likes, you know, certain little things. So I think two days after WrestleMania, it was the, oh, Charlotte, not Charlotte, Sasha, not Sasha. What is wrong with me? Becky has joined all of these other women to be the one of five women that's held the 
a, a main women's title for a calendar year. And I'm like, oh, so that's probably a part of it as well. Um, is this idea of, you know, okay, so she's had it for over a year, and if she had lost at WrestleMania, she wouldn't have made the year mark. And nobody can ever tell me when it comes to things like that that that's not a Vince move. Um, they, I think that whenever you see somebody run up on a, a title run that spans a year or more or that approaches a record-breaking thing, that to me is always a Vince thing. And, you know... I, I get the point, but like I said, I, I I still feel just a type of way about the way that went down. Um but that being said, I do think I do think the Rhea and Charlotte match was a very good showcase of Rhea. I think the story that was told in that match was really well done. Um and I'll I'll take I'll take your point that having Charlotte as the champion in NXT is going to do more in the long run than if she had lost to Rhea at WrestleMania. I'll take that. Um, we're approaching the 50-minute mark. Just trying to think of what else we want to kind of touch on as we as we look to wrap up. Um, any other matches that kind of stand out to you? I agree the, the latter match was um, was the best that they could do, but it was still really well done, um, given that they yeah. were only able to have one member of each team. Um, I think that was a, a, a unique touch to it that kind of, you know, worked. Um, I was kind of the best that they could make of it. Um, I can't say that I watched the um, Sami Zayn, Daniel Bryan match, so I'm not sure what happened there. I know Bryan lost. That's as much as I know. Um, but I think I think the, 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 the women's matches, um, the stories of Taker, AJ, Bray, Cena, um, the title matches just for having fresh faces with the title moving forward. Um, I think all of those are still going to be kind of the standouts that we come back to. Um, looking back historically at this WrestleMania. Um, uh, just, just one thing I want to touch on. Uh, it has more to do with to do with than just WrestleMania. It's like the overall landscape of the WWE. This coronavirus thing has given us a chance to look at some wrestlers in spots that we never would have had a chance to see. Fair. Shout out Ingo oh. Gazzo. Shout yeah. out awesome the new tag team of Ricochet and uh, um, what's his name? Cedric Metal- 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 yeah. yeah. Like, who else do we have now? We have uh, what's the guy that we with? Uh, Andrade, uh, Andrade. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he's been a joy to watch. So I mean, like this whole thing about WWE being in this weird mix of who we could have in the uh, in, in in the building, who is not sick, who is sick. Like this is allowed athletes that we've never would have had a chance to see in matches. We've seen these guys in matches and they're performing. Mm-hmm. And I shout out Paul Heyman. He's in the back. They're literally making diamonds out of these horrible situations mm-hmm, and giving us five star, well, not five star. Uh, I, I, a lot of these matches have been, you know, between three and three and a half stars over the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's the thing. As much as I, I imagine ratings are down um, because it is a little bit weird, I do think ultimately the um, the matches, the content has been good. Um, awkward. 
a little bit strange, a little bit tough to wrap your head around. The lack of um, audience is very critical. It's a it's a very yeah. noticeable issue. Um, I don't think you know, not for me. I, I've been okay with the lack of a uh, audience. I mean, last night when Raw got on air, I, I I didn't watch right away. I think Thomas and Group he told us that they started off with the whole back and forth between Andrade and um. Oh God, I can't, I'm having a lapse in judgment right now. Between Andrade and McIntyre. Mm-hmm. And that's what Vince kicked off the show with, and that kept the energy throughout the entire show. I picked up not too long after that, and everything after that was at a high, to the point that all throughout the night, they built up the storyline about making Andrade look strong throughout the night through interference and other little loopholes. And then in the main event, we had the big swerve. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about Andrade. It was about Seth. Mm -hmm. So now you have, like several viable options for Drew to feud with Mm -hmm. because Seth is on a high. Kevin Owens, whenever he comes back, he's going to be on a high. And now you have Andrade looking not only strong, but he looks like a viable option to not only keep his belt, but now to move up to the main event, the the main event scene. Right. Yeah, I think we're we're in a good place all around for what's to come, I think, in both main title pitchers, the universal title as well as the um the the WWE title. I think it's interesting, you know, most of the time we look at post SummerSlam as WWE's um spot where they take a chance on a new guy with the title. Um I think this is the first time in quite some time where they're doing that with WrestleMania and post WrestleMania because Drew is a first time um world champion and Braun is a first time world champion. Um, and amidst everything that's going on, I feel like they're they're going to be slower to pull the trigger on certain decisions that they may have been quick to do in the past, like quick title changes because, oh, this guy's not popping ratings. I think they're, they're actually going to allow stories to develop. Um, I think it behooves them to allow stories to develop and to make sure that they're telling the best story. Um, as opposed to just rushing to, well, we need somebody like Brock to have the title again because the numbers aren't, aren't you're not going to have the numbers. And so in this instance, don't be a slave to the numbers because the numbers don't matter, right? You're going to have some level of an audience because there's literally nothing else on TV. Um, and so I think this is a very interesting time for them to capitalize and really position themselves. And, and this is for them and AEW, to be honest. Um, this is an interesting time to be like, no, this is what we are. We want to say that we are what wrestling is, um, and we're the pinnacle of it. And I think the, the fighting of AEW versus WWE during this COVID crisis and this pandemic and the lack of sports gives wrestling fans an opportunity to really be like, this is just, this is the best time in the world right now. Like COVID be damned. We're getting excellent wrestling on from both companies, um, and we're getting a lot of a lot of good stories to seek our uh, sink our teeth into as we move forward. So I do think it's interesting that for the first time in a long time, you have two guys who are carrying the titles for the first time going into summer. Um, but I do think there are storyline and match opportunities abound on both sides that are really interesting and could be really well told. And I think there's a lot for wrestling fans to be excited about. You know, we usually talk about the doldrums of post-WrestleMania, but I think 
given everything that's going on, it forces them to kind of not take, you know, uh, like nobody can slip right now because you have a captive audience. You have the opportunity to really, you know, reel people in and build long term fans out of this, you know, hopefully short term situation. So I think it, it puts everybody on a position where they have to be on their toes. They have to tell the best stories and they have to allow th- stories to breathe in a way that maybe they haven't done in the past. Yeah, like, no, I, I would definitely want to add to all of this is that WWE definitely seems to, to work best in chaos to where they have, like, it, the cards are completely out of their hands. They have no other choice. They have to call the audible. Yeah. They can't go with the, the first the first plan. Like, they really have to, like, work on the fly. And yeah, they always, for yeah. most part, exactly they always come with up, great. That's exactly <laughs> why I brought up the Montreal Screwjob thing. Because it was the WWE being forced into a position to just have to act. Like, they tried everything in the lead-up to it. They couldn't get any of the guys to say, okay, this is the way we should go about it. So what ended up happening? That's how we got the Vince McMahon, I run WWE character. Mm-hmm. Like, that's mm-hmm. how we got Boss Vince, mm-hmm. which were, which is one of the best heels in the history of the company. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, is again, WWE working best in chaotic situations and boss vince was was in a lot of ways the start of the attitude era that's true in its truest that form that was a Absolutely. big part he of it. you're right so it, you know it's interesting it, it 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 does always seem to be you know that they work really well in circumstances where you wouldn't anticipate people being able to um to easily kind of work on the fly and make you know, quick decisions, um, and have those decisions, you know, still be in the best interest of the company and of fans moving forward. So it's, it's always, these are always the times when you kind of see opportunity for creativity. And I think, I think we're going to continue to see that from both, um, WWE and AEW going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by far. Um, I, I wouldn't, for me personally, I wouldn't worry too much about them having two first-time wrestlers because I feel they may be first-time wrestlers, but they're, they're, first-time not, champions. Not, they're not, yeah, yeah, <laughs> they're not unfamiliar to us, you know? No, 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 um, uh, no, I wasn't saying and especially, that. Especially, I'm just saying it's, especially it's with Braun this is usually not the time. A great. Right. Very true, that's very true. So, yeah, I, I was only speaking to the fact that this is not usually the time when they put this, the title on somebody for the first time. They usually like to use WrestleMania as a chance to put it on somebody who either is really well known and has been on a super hot run and established, or if they're mm-hmm. if they're new to the title, that's somebody who's been on a really like so like when they did it with Seth. Seth was everywhere in the year leading up to that WrestleMania when he cashed in, right? Um, so it's either usually that type of situation or going with an established name. So in this instance, you have names that are relatively established, um, but haven't necessarily been on a, we've been on this path to this title for the last six months to a year. And I think that's just the only thing it's, this is not, that's something yeah. that they would typically do be like, okay, let's slap the title on somebody in post summer slam and give them a few months to see how they click. But at least in this yeah, instance, there are, there are. There's a one really good solid feud on the SmackDown side with Braun and Bray. And then there's a litany of opportunities for Drew, who also is a guy that works well with smaller dudes. And there's a lot of smaller dudes that are really talented on Raw that he can get to kind of um, work with and get some really solid matches with with Drew 
as the champion for a while as well. Yeah, and I think that's what I'm most excited about is that we have legit something to watch on both brands for for a while. It's just been raw. Mm -hmm. Um, so just to see that SmackDown has that now, at least um, one feud, it's it's really, really, really encouraging. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we're still in a very weird time when it comes to wrestling because one of the things I saw they have lined up, I think, in another week or two is some Triple H appreciation um, thing. (laughs) And it sounds like that's going to span over more than just, like, Uh, one episode. That's that's all Hunter. Hunter. They announced (laughs) some Triple H... I can't even... it's, it's. I think it's Triple H appreciation or... His best matches or career retrospective, something like that. But it's essentially the way they announced it. It was like starting on whatever SmackDown. I think that's either next week or the week after. So the fact that they said starting on means that it's definitely going to span more than just one live, like one show. I imagine it's going to span over a SmackDown or Raw and maybe an NXT um, to kind of Mm -hmm. just, you know, whatever they're going to do to highlight his history or whatever it is that they're doing. I can't, I literally just saw it in a glance on Twitter or somewhere yesterday or today. And I was like, yeah, they're going to find well, a lot of interesting story. ways to, um, to create content out of what they have archived during this time. Yeah. That, that when I first saw it in the commercial, I said like, yeah, this definitely screams on the, like, this is well, like, I mean, I just hope my like, future this is father in law. Loves right. me as much as Vince loved Triple H, bro. <laughs> Listen, fam. I'm like, this is going to spawn into an entirely new feud. Like, this is going to spawn. It's hilarious. Once. Like, I, I see, I already see the right now. Much... Like, it's, it's obvious what this is. Do you know how much hate is going to come Hunter's way after this? Like, like people already is hate on Triple H, and now they're going to use. I mean, I, I get it, right? You're not going to be able to fill all of the time because a lot of the things that you could do normally and the amount of people that you could normally have in-house mm-hmm. or on screen is limited. So you kind of have to find a way to fill in the gaps, right? So I get it. We're going to get more of that. Like that's Triple H is going to be the first, but that's not going to be the last, right? So I think, you know, that's just a thing where it's going to look like that for a while until we get back to a point where we can have fully live shows with crowds. Um but I just think, for me, the final thing I wanted to touch on before before we wrap this up was just, like, I, I want to be in a position where I can own something that is definitely not an essential service, but be in a position where I can say, <laughs> my company is an essential service and y'all need to make that happen. Because the fact that Vince got the leadership in Florida to write put in writing and declare that wwe is an essential service in the state of florida is literally mind-blowing and i don't know what level of money or influence or whatever it is that is required to be in that position in life but that's just crazy listen bro that's like that might have been that might have been the smallest thing he did this week because i don't know if y'all been following the XFL uh, bankruptcy filings went through this week. Mm-hmm. And wow. in those documents, like, Vince has been prohibited based on, because WWE is a public company. Mm-hmm. Shareholders prohibited him 
from using WWE resources mm-hmm. to finance the XFL. Right, as a way to protect And it turns out that the XFL, I mean, WWE is like a 22% shareholder in the XFL. Mm-hmm. But what Vince wow. did was he manipulated, he manipulated the, the legal language in his contract to make it where he is not the person that's doing it. It's basically WWE agreed to do it. And he had no part in it. He basically made himself this entirely new entity that was almost like he gave himself a gift for the XFL to go on. It's the funniest thing. You have to read the court documents. It's just Vince being Vince. So when I read that and then I read immediately after that, he convinced the Florida state uh, government to make them in a sense of service. I was looking at Vince being Vince. Classic Vince move. Wait. No, fam. Vince. I <laughs> listen. I can't. There'll never be another man. There'll never be another like him. Look, clearly, that that you know, man. We 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 raggy no. on Vince a lot at this point in his life and his career as a wrestling promoter, as you know, the the grandfather in a lot of ways of what modern wrestling mm-hmm. has become. But you just there's so many Vince stories, and I think this is just gonna be another one of those remember when vince convinced them niggas to say wrestling was an essential service during a pandemic and it worked and it, it listen it definitely worked without like I, i'm sure he went into that room without a but not a First single of all, doubt in his mind he, he walked into that, that, that room or onto that zoom call or that skype call with the same swagger that he walks to the ring when no chance in hell looks off in an arena okay <laughs> that dude was I like, like played, i feel like he played no chance in hell like as the waiting music to the zone call. Sure. You know, like it's a moment where you're waiting to log it. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's like it's like it was his version of how wrestlers will get oiled up and do their little pre match routine. Like Vince was there, like, yeah, this is some good shit. Like I we right. we got this on lock. This is such good um, shit. So now you know uh, no man. chance in hell has to be our intro music for this, right? Like sign seal delivers. It's only right. Oh, all right. Um, it's an hour and five. I think we've we've covered a lot. Um, I'm sure we missed one or two things in WrestleMania. I think generally speaking, our our wrap up on that is they made chicken salad out of chicken shit in certain situations. They did. Um, and I think we got a much better WrestleMania than I I, I think any of us could have anticipated going in. Um. You can nitpick. You can always nitpick because there's always something that somebody's going to be mad about and complain about. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's amazing what they were able to pull off. Um, and this is going to be a very interesting WrestleMania to look back on in years to come. Um, you know, as whatever is normal comes back into being normal, whatever new version of normalcy we see. Um, this will always be an interesting WrestleMania to look back on in retrospect and be like, yeah, like there was that year when they shot WrestleMania in advance and nobody leaked anything and it was pre-recorded over two weeks and it was in an empty arena and it didn't suck. <laughs> that's, it's weird. That's, 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 make up that that's amazing. <laughs> You know, and and I guess to end, kudos to everybody in WWE that helped to make that work and to make that 
you know the the success in a lot of ways that it was you know wrestling fans and i think there there are some who are torn on whether or not they should have been doing it and all of that but at the end of the day once the content was out there it's like you know they really made um a lot out of what they had to work with and i think in a lot of ways we're grateful you know we appreciate that in some ways that is putting your life on the line in a very different way than we would typically say in wrestling you know you you have injuries and stuff like that but literally with a pandemic out there and all of that there is a certain level of okay you might legitimately be putting your life in danger um and hopefully nobody is the is worse the way for it coming out of it um but i know as wrestling fans we appreciated the content and i think at the end of the day yeah. you know it was good content on top of that right Certainly, from my end, I have to agree. Yeah, it, it, it's been one, this year's Mania was one of the best that I've seen in a while. It was, um, especially considering we came in thinking that this was going to be like a total disaster. It, it definitely pulled through, yeah, and proved a lot of people wrong. Yeah, well, I was, I went in expecting, um. The fire festival kind of storylines <laughs> coming out of there. Literally uh, over two weeks I've been recording. No leaks. None of that happened, and we got a good show. Yeah. So, all in all, it worked out. Yep. I'm most shocked at the no leaks. I'll be completely mm, honest. No, no, no. Though that man said, if anything leaks, you fired. If we find out who leaked it, you fired. And I think. I, that was oh, the yeah. story that went around, and I, I fully believe that Vince had a Skype call or a Zoom meeting with everybody. It's like, look, if I see anything online that is a leak, somebody gone, all right? Is your fired is going to happen. So I think I think Vince just was very adamant about that, and I think people recognize the importance of something like this, the, the strangest circumstances that you'll ever see a WrestleMania happen under. Um, they recognize the importance of keeping that under wraps and letting it be as though it happened live. It's amazing that it happened, but damn. <laughs> All right. Um, well, that's it for this episode of the Off the Turnbuckle um, podcast. Um, as always, remember to like, comment, subscribe, share, and we'll see you back here next time on Lazarus Pit. Oh, Jesus. On off the turnbuckle, <laughs> I'm gonna have to edit that part out. You know, I was making you say Lazarus Pit, right? Please don't yeah, edit that out. What else do you do? I was waiting for him to say it because <laughs> normally I'm the person that do the off the turnbuckle. Oh, that's what that I is dead funny. I was waiting for him to say it. It's just a far no. part of it. That's it, beautiful. This dude is the universe is in the podcast. That's you know what? <laughs> Chaos continues. <laughs> all right, catch y'all next time on the pod. This is such good shit. <laughs> <laughs>